Hello and welcome once again to the Nightlight Podcast. Chris Glynn here, and I'm joined on the show once again by Howard Storm. Howard is a pastor and author of the best-selling book, My Descent into Death, A Second Chance at Life. On the previous show, I asked Howard questions about heaven and hell, having had a taste of both during his remarkable life-after-death experience. And I've got some more questions for Howard on the show today. And Howard is speaking to us over Zoom from his home in rural Kentucky. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. Welcome back to the show, Howard. This time I'd like to ask you to talk about your incredible time travel experience that you briefly describe in your book. But before that, just before you were transported into the future, you asked Jesus if there was ever going to be a nuclear war. And now, with the world fearing that the war in Europe could escalate into a nuclear exchange, I'm sure our audience would like to hear what the Lord said. Yes, um, I'm not going to say Jesus said this and Jesus said that, but I'm going to be quoting him a lot because it was a very succinct and clear conversation. I asked Jesus, what about war? And Jesus said, God hates war. That's a quote. Wow. I thought that was interesting. So my response was, well, then why have there been so many wars if God hates war? Why hasn't God stopped them? Right. And Jesus said, God has stopped most of the wars that humans wanted to create. But God allows wars to happen because we humans need to experience the consequences of our actions. Right. It's an interesting comment because I'm a little bit of a history buff. And when you look at um, human history, particularly recent human history, World War One, which had absolutely no point, if you read if you read history books about World War One, other than pride and you know um, all these crazy concepts of the glories of war and honor and all that stuff, mm-hmm. there was absolutely no point to it at all. It's the most pointless war. Tens of millions of people died, and when World War One came to conclusion, everybody said that's the last war. There'll never be another one. It was too horrible. And they even went to the extreme, because it was extreme, they formed a League of Nations, which eventually evolved it to the United Nations with the idea that rather than having wars, you would have um, these grand councils of the nations, and they would get together and negotiate peaceful settlements between disputing nations. Right. 20 years later, World War II. 20 years, I mean, like, you know, in my lifetime, 20 years isn't like a big deal. I can remember 20 years back pretty well. Right. There's even a remote possibility I might even live another 20 years. Right. <laughs> in my lifetime, I was born in 46, the United States has more or less been at war the whole time. That's right. I lost a cousin in the Korean War in the early 1950s. I mean, I go on and on. And... God hates war. Jesus made it very clear that the idea of um, killing other people, and of course, we all know that um, the majority of people that are killed in wars are civilians. That's right. And we're talking women and children. <laughs> you know, when you look at the war statistics, it doesn't often, sometimes it does, it doesn't often include all the civilians that are intentionally or inadvertently killed, and, and both sides do it. I can't, I can't excuse the allies anyhow. God hates war. I grew up 
I, like I said, was born in 46, grew up doing tuck and duck. Do you know what tuck and duck is? Wasn't that during the 50s when they taught school children in the U.S. to hide under their desks if there was a nuclear war? Yeah, in, in a, with your hands over your head in a crouched position to protect you from the nuclear blast. The other thing that was happening in my youth was there was this big rush to build backyard bomb shelters. So <laughs> I begged my dad to do it, but uh, he, he didn't because he thought it was foolish. But anyway, so people would dig a hole in their backyard and put some uh, food supplies in there. Um, and the idea that when a nuclear war happened, we'd all go um, hide in our uh, backyard bomb shelter. And then, of course, come out happily and rebuild our lives. Absolute, pure fantasy. Right. So I had, and my whole generation, frankly, speaking for my entire generation, were all fatalists. And one of the reasons why the whole hippie movement, which was extremely hedonistic, was because we all didn't expect to live very long. Interesting. I vividly remember the Cuban Missile Crisis in the uh, early 60s. Uh, just as a, a side note, I had a friend that was uh, a little older than me serving on a nuclear submarine, and they were in position to launch missiles out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. People don't realize how close that was to a nuclear war. Gosh. I said, is God going to stop a nuclear war? And he said, God is not going to allow a nuclear war. And I said, why won't he allow it? And he said, because it destroys not just people, but the trees and the animals and the fish and the birds, its it destroys God's creation. This was the angel or Jesus speaking to you? Jesus. And he said, there's not going to be a nuclear war. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yes. And I said, you mean God would reach down and throw the missiles down if they were launched? And he said, God will do whatever is necessary to stop it. And then Jesus said, there may be a couple of small nuclear accidents make people aware of the danger of nuclear power, but there's not going to be a nuclear war. So that's what he told me, and I'm going with that. It's hard to imagine that at this stage in human civilization, people still think that you can use your armies and your military might to conquer, dominate, exploit other people to settle some kind of egotistical dispute. Yes. I'm sorry, but how can they possibly think that's what we should do? Bringing you peace in the midst of the storm. You're listening to Nightlight. So Howard, immediately after the Lord assured you that he would never allow his creation to be destroyed by a nuclear war, you were transported, you said, 200 years into the future. And remarkably, you said that you were not just seeing the future in a vision, but you were actually physically present. Yes. Looking back on this experience now, many years later, how do you remember it? How, how real was it? As real as anything I've ever experienced, if not more so. But uh, I just want to put one uh, note of caution and what I have to say about that is he took me to one place we saw pretty extensively, it was a village, and what that village was like and how they lived and what they did and how they worshipped, etc. I mean, we, we had quite a visit, you know, and I didn't see the whole world. Because I was in one village doesn't mean there aren't cities. There well could be cities. We didn't, I didn't go to a city, we went to this village. Right. And it was incredibly peaceful and lovely. The interesting thing about the future is that God is going to unlock 
a lot of powers that we have the capacity for, but we can't access at this time. The reason why God does not allow us to access these things is because we would terribly misuse them. That's right. I'm talking about telepathic powers and telekinetic powers mm-hmm. and the ability to control some things of nature like the weather. Like, mm-hmm. for example, because of the telepathic ability of these people, globally, people controlled the weather. So places that were getting too much rain would get some less rain and places that needed more rain would get more rain. Wow. People could grow food before you're very, he showed me, people would sit down in front of vegetables that they'd planted and they would just grow to maturity before their eyes. They would pray. Well, I call it praying. I don't know what, I don't really know what they would do, but they'd sit there in some kind of prayerful meditative state and the, and the vegetables would grow. Um, there was no hunger. There was no want. People lived relatively simply. And I asked Jesus, what was the main activity of all the people? And he said, the number one activity of everyone in the world was children. Wow. He said that uh, parenting, of course, was still important. And the kids, you know, were very aware of their parents and all, all that. But what everybody was focused on was raising children. We fail to raise our children properly in this world. That's right. Even if you tried your best, it's impossible because there's so many influences. I have a, a good friend who has a preteen daughter. And every time I talk about him, he talks about all of his anxieties about the influences of the other kids trying to um, stay in t- uh, on top of her contacts with the social media and, and the horrible thing, you know, the bullying and things that happen, trying to um, keep her away from influences about um, experimenting in sexuality and drugs and alcohol and blah, blah. I mean, you know, every, every time I talk to him, he goes on this rant about his anxiety. And you know what? I'm totally sympathetic to him. A few decades ago, I was in the same position. I, I remember as a father when her uh, when she started dating you know, when the boys would come to the door, I would try and scare those boys. I did. I mean, I tried to be as mean as possible to them, <laughs> let them know that, like, you mess with my daughter, boy, you know, and you're going to have hell to pay with me. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I let them know that that's what they were dealing with. Um, I don't know if it had much of an effect or not. question was how much she was going to um, cooperate. Anyhow, in a loving community, children are raised in strong faith and love and hope and goodness. And you don't have to warn them every time they walk out the door about the evils that lurk out there. And they're real. I mean, those those evils are real. It's, this isn't, you know, parenting isn't a question of being paranoid. I mean, if you're not vigilant as a parent, you're um, neglecting your duty. Nightlight, keeping you in tune with the times. Anyhow, Jesus told me that different uh, communities Everybody lived in community. Everybody, he said, everybody in the world lived in community. I don't, I don't know more than the one community I saw. Every community had kind of a focus. So some communities were very into music. Some communities were very into a specific craft. Some communities were into, you know, uh, visual arts. Um, some communities were into athletics. Some communities were into, um, nature. I mean, and, if people developed an interest that wasn't uh, a focus of their community, they were welcome to uh, go find a community where they could uh, be with like-minded people. Cool. Worship was a huge part of the community. 
I, I, I saw some of their worship and it didn't seem to be as formal, you know, like the church that I attend, we have, uh, it's foremost people sit in the pews and nobody gets up and shouts or anything like that. For better or for worse, we're not very extroverted, very in- introverted worshipers. And now uh, we have a liturgy and a bulletin and we follow the, the bulletin. Da, 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 da. My sense is that worship was much more spontaneous. Wow. But because people worshiped every day, sometimes several times a day, they kind of had it down, you know? You know I mean, they, right. they pretty much knew what they were about. They took the original task of human beings to be stewards of the earth very seriously and lived in um, very modest ways, very um, organic ways. One thing that I don't know the answer to, everybody uh, was wearing ornaments. So people weren't wearing jeans and T-shirts and the same old stuff that they wear today. No, they're more more eclectic. But everybody was wearing ornaments. I didn't think to ask a friend of mine who's really into um, the future of technology. He and I were discussing, and it, and it dawned on me, you know, those ornaments might have been technology. Wow. They might have been um, somehow enhancing their abilities to communicate and stuff like that. I don't know. I think that that uh, might be a genuine possibility. I don't think technology is evil. I think it's, you know, I think science and technology God has given us, hopefully to use properly and not destructively. So maybe those ornaments weren't just uh, decorative. Maybe what I saw as ornaments were actually um, incredibly miniaturized technologies. So you didn't see any cars or vehicles? People had gone back to using horses and wagons and so on? Yeah, frankly, um, no poverty, no want. But it looked a lot like the way I imagine a Native American community would live, the way um, a lot of indigenous people lived, but without any fear of war, without any need or want. Praise God. Let me just wrap this up with one thing. Um, I said, so how long do people live? And Jesus said, they live as long as they want to. Wow. And then they let go. And he showed me they had a, a, a service for people for when they were done. The grocery store, you know, like all the perishable stuff is all uh, date stamped, expiration date. People talk about extending human life. Big goal is to get people to be able to live to be 120. Our biology has an expiration date stamped on all those cells. That's right. I don't think that it's going to change much. We might extend life expectancy a little bit, but nobody's, people aren't going to in this body live forever and i and i know i sure don't want to if anybody wants to uh, donate their knees to me i'd be happy to take them because <laughs> mine are um letting me down they're worn out bone on bone anyways they get together and and they um the person lays down and the people surround them and they pray for them and then the person goes to heaven and they bury the body Shining Love's Light. You're listening to Nightlight. So just to clarify for our listeners, you were seeing the world as it will be 200 years into the future, but it was not heaven. It was our present world, presumably 200 years after the second coming of Christ and during his 1,000-year millennial reign on earth. 
I believe so. I didn't know enough, I, you know, because I wasn't a Christian before this, I didn't know enough to ask those good questions. But, you know, we pray, you know, all Christians theoretically pray frequently the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes. This world is still the physical world. This world is should be like heaven, but the physics of heaven are entirely different than this world. And this world is always going to be ruled by gravity and, you know, the forces of nature, etc. Heaven is ruled by God, period. God's love, really. And people are very aware of heaven. They make this world as heavenly as they possibly can, but it has its limitations. You know, we all have to eat. We all have to have sex and procreate and stuff like that. There is no procreation in heaven. Really? You know, Jesus said there's not even marriage in heaven. People don't want to hear this, but there isn't sex in heaven. Much better stuff than sex. Much better stuff than marriage in heaven. Wow. That's a, a whole nother, a whole nother story. But the point is, is that let's just call this world paradise. The, the, the world that he showed me in the future is paradise. And we could have that paradise in our lifetime if we globally chose it. There's enough resources in this world for everybody to have, you know, all, all the uh, signs of a, a, a good life, you know, access to health care, access to resources, access to employment. That's right. For example, in the, in the future, if people have an accident or have some kind of diseases and the community gets together, they pray over them and they heal them right then and there. Faith healing is common in the future and it works every time wow 100 percent. it's quite a different world than the world that we have it's right there within our grasp if only we would choose it instead so much of the world are acting like selfish greedy corrupt people it's very discouraging because all we have to do is choose choose a better way which is to follow jesus the light is always on with Nightlight. Nightlight. You're tuned in to Nightlight. In this future world, Howard, did you at all sense the presence of anything that was evil? Or had the devil and his demons been taken out of the picture and no longer able to oppress and deceive mankind and attack people spiritually? My clear sense was is that evil, the devil, had lost all its power. Um, a uh, American, his name escapes me at the moment, but anyways, he was a psychiatrist who didn't believe in uh, Jesus or Christianity, and he decided to investigate exorcisms. And after uh, a couple of years of investigating him, he became a Christian, wow. <laughs> working with Catholic priests in exorcisms in the United States. Anyways, he wrote a number of good books, and he said that and I, and I love this, and I believe it. Evil has no power except the power we give it. That's right. And I think that's really important because people want to deify evil. By that, I mean they want to make the evil one, the demons, into gods. Matter of fact, we actually call them that in the Greek. Greek word for gods is demons, and that's where we get the word demon from. But they aren't gods. They can oppress, they can influence, they can deceive, but the only power they have is the power we give them. So 
it's really important, one, not to give them those opportunities to have control over our lives. And when we find them interfering in our lives, we can block them and literally cast out whatever power they have around us in the name of Jesus through prayer. I've um, done a number of cleansings of homes where good people were feeling all kinds of like weird evil stuff happening in their houses. And I've gone in with the family and anointed the house with holy water and prayed every nook and cranny. Really important. Every nook and cranny is going to be prayed for. It takes a couple hours to do this. And the and the family has to participate because I can't you can't have uh, a quizzling use an old World War II term. You can't have someone um, who's pretending to participate who's actually holding back. It's got to be unanimous. But um, you can actually exercise the house of all the demonic stuff. And I participated in it, and it does work. And most importantly, you got to look at yourself and exercise the whatever um, jealousies, revenges unforgiveness, you've got to exercise those out of your life. That's how the demonic powers get influence in our lives, is through those dark emotions. You can say you're Christian, you can say you go to church, but there's someone that you're really mad at who did you an injustice and you want to hurt them. You've just opened a door to the demons. Forgiveness is so important. And not them forgiving you. I'm talking about us forgiving them, them forgiving you. That's their work. You can't do that for them. And you can't actually even expect it from them. Shining bright through the dark night. You're listening to Nightlight. Thank you so much for sharing that, Howard. It sure gives the world a wonderful future to look forward to. As the Apostle John wrote in the last words of the Bible, even so, Lord, come quickly. Of course, you're famous for your book, My Descent into Death, which was the experience that brought you to the Lord. But not so many people know the rest of your story, how you went on to serve the Lord, pastoring a number of churches, and also the wonderful work that you've done among the indigenous people of Belize. And I'd like to ask you about that on another show. love to talk about that stuff. My experiences are very real, both the good and the bad experiences. And I, I like to talk about both the uh, successes we've had and the failures we've had, because I'd like people to learn from my mistakes, which were many. You know, following Jesus doesn't mean going around saying, I believe or I'm saved. There's nothing wrong with saying I believe or I'm saved. I'm not criticizing. Following Jesus means walking in his footsteps. You know, there's some absolutely ridiculous debate in Christianity about whether we're saved by faith or by works. Well, the way I read the Bible is um, faith means you do the work. And, you know, it's it's not choose one or the other. I'm going to live by faith or I'm going to live by work. So it's like, if you believe, you know, l- let me give an analogy. If you believe in your mother and father, you're obedient to them. Yes. You mm-hmm. do the work. My father um, was a very hard man. He was a World War II veteran, you know, and uh, being obedient to my father meant um, I had to mow the lawn twice. Every time I mowed the lawn, I had to, he always said, now go back and do it again. Gosh. We washed his car every week. Actually, I washed his car every week and frequently waxed. And I'm talking about several hours. 
because washing the car meant vacuuming it out, cleaning the uh, all the windows on the inside and out. You know, it it, it was a bit real test um, obedience. You know, the words anyone who has read the Bible should know this: what you want to hear when you meet Jesus, when you go to heaven, is well done, good and obedient servant. Amen. Enter into my kingdom. That's from the Bible. That's what you want to hear. And you want to be able to look him in the eye. And although we all know that we are sinners and have failed in many ways, we are also forgiven. He did that on the cross. And that's part of the faith is to believe in his forgiveness. And good and obedient servant. We served Jesus Christ to the best of our ability. And the interesting thing is um, we all have talents. We all have abilities. We all have circumstances. That's right. And I've tried with my life to find ways to serve him. And I believe I have to the best of my ability. Um, I mentioned before I've made many mistakes. The good thing is I've tried to learn from those mistakes. And I think I have a pretty successful mission going on in Belize. Nightlight. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. Howard, once again, thank you so much. It's been so uplifting to hear your testimonies. Anything else that you'd like to share before we close? I'd just like to say to the viewers, um, knowing God as God has revealed God's self to us in the person of Christ Jesus is the best thing that happened in my life. I've been given gifts that you can't buy and you can't manufacture. And those gifts are joy. Jesus said, "My," he says in the Bible, may my joy be in you and may your joy be complete. I have my ups and downs in life. Some days, <laughs> you know, are better than others, but I have an underlying joy. I have an underlying companion, which is the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ that guides me, comforts me, corrects me, disciplines me, gives me um, insights into things that I normally wouldn't have insight into. I have a faith that's not dependent upon this world or material things because I'm connected through the Holy Spirit to the source of that faith. And most importantly, I'm saving the best for last is that I have a foundation of love. Christopher, I'm no better than anybody else. I'm painfully aware of that. I, I would like to be a saintly man, and I'm just a man, you know, just a man struggling, struggling towards sanctification, but I'm not there. And this man is passionately, passionately, indescribably loved by the Creator, and everyone else is too. When you finally open up to that idea that the Creator, God, loves you so much and only wants the best for you and wants you to achieve the best for you and will give you the ability to achieve those things. And I'm not talking about um, everybody's going to be driving a Mercedes. That's not the best. I'm talking about a good life, a meaningful life, a purposeful life, a life full of wonderful friends, a life full of optimism, even in a world that is often, um, you know, not very trustworthy. That's what I want people to know. The best way to know it that I know is to uh, find a church that preaches Jesus Christ and God's love. You can try and do it on your own, but as uh, C.S. Lewis points out, um, 
You know, if you want to go around traveling around without a map and without without a GPS, good luck because you're going to get lost and you're going to make a lot of mistakes. This roadmap to God has been traveled by literally billions of people over 2,000 years. And uh, frankly, for a lot of people, it's they've gotten to where they want to go. For a lot of people, it's been successful. And there's some people that that hasn't happened, but it's their fault, not God's fault. That's what I'm about. That's what I would encourage your viewers to do is to um, look at how you can use that roadmap, which is called the, the church. And I mean that in the most broad, general way possible. And of course, the church will help you to um, explore and understand the Bible as well. And please do check out Howard Storm's website at howardstorm.com, where you can find out a lot more about Howard. And from there, you can also purchase my Descent into Death, as well as his other books. You'll also find the link below. But that's it for now. I'll be back again soon with another Nightlight podcast. Until then, may the Lord bless and keep you. Bye-bye.